All righty. Such a great spirit here today and such an honor to have all of you here. And um, I've been praying for you this week and uh, I'm excited about what God is doing, even in the midst of all this craziness and what God is going to do in 2021. We said that 2020 was going to be the year of vision. We just didn't realize how true that was going to be. <laughs> and uh, but we're believing God for great things in 2021. It's going to be an exciting year, and um, we're going to have a great time. And so I've thought about and prayed about what I could speak on this morning that could be revolutionary. I've thought about what could I do that just could wow you, and you leave church thinking, man, I have never heard that before. But then I come to the conclusion that I probably can't do that. You know why I can't do that? Because the Christmas story is the same story every year. And, uh, you know, there's so many, there's all, there's only so many ways you could preach the Christmas story. And, uh, but the Bible is nothing new. We've heard it. We, we've heard stories every year and every Sunday we hear the stories of the Bible and you hear sermons after sermons. And so I don't think my responsibility this morning is to wow you. I think my responsibility this morning is just to preach truth. No matter, even if you've heard the truth before, that's my responsibility. So how many would just be honest with me this morning? You say, Pastor, I'll open up my heart and I'll open up my mind and spirit and I will give attention to the word of God. I won't be on my phone this morning, but I'll give total attention to what the spirit has to say. Would you do that? Amen. So I want you to prepare your heart as we receive the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have together in your word today. Thank you for the presence of the Lord that we already sense and feel. We pray that as we look into your word today, that it would bring, um, it would bring conviction, it would bring reproof, bring comfort, and most of all, we would leave here not only being faithful, but we'll leave here being fruitful. And everyone shouted a great big amen. So we are in a sermon series, and our Christmas services are the next two Sundays, but I'm, we, we've been in a sermon series called Rediscovery. Christmas. And so for each Sunday, I'm going to talk about a story in the Christmas narrative, and I'm going to bring out some things that you can learn in the Christmas story. So open your ears and hearts and learn today as we look at the Christmas story. Uh, and we're going to look at the, the man called Joseph, Joseph, Matthew chapter one, beginning with verse number 18. Hear the words of St. Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary your wife for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and she will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife. And he did not know her until he had brought until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Rediscover Christmas and we're going to look at Christmas through the eyes of Joseph, through the eyes of Joseph. Now, one of the things that I have learned when I was in seminary, there's many different methods of Bible study that I've learned and most of them are beneficial even to my life today when I'm preparing preparing for a sermon. I realized that preaching is an art. Anybody can do it. You can learn how to do it. And one of the reasons why I went to school is that I wanted to be the best
best pastor and preacher that I can be. I didn't necessarily go to school so that I can do something else. And I don't necessarily think everybody should go to school. I just believe the Holy Spirit wanted me to do it in my journey. I wanted to be the very best pastor and preacher that I can be. Although I struggle at times that I don't miss, I miss the mark at times. I'm not a perfect person or a perfect pastor or preacher, but I strive to do my very best in everything that I do. And one of the things that I've learned in my studies, I've learned that as I'm studying the scriptures, I try to put myself in the pages of the scriptures. It kind of brings more growth and development to my life. If I'm reading about the story of Abram, then I kind of picture myself being Abram and getting up from my country and going to a different country. How would I feel about that? What is the emotions that would go through my heart and my mind? Sometimes, you know, you can identify with other characters, Joseph in the Old Testament, how he was sold into slavery. How would you respond to that? What would you go through? Well, what if you were a disciple of the Lord, one of the 12? What would go through your heart and mind at the Last Supper when Jesus publicly said at the Last Supper that somebody would betray him? What would go through your mind? What would go through your heart? Well, what would happen if you would just imagine yourself being the shepherds on the night that Jesus Christ was born, where the angels came out and sang happy birthday on the Judean hillside? And the Bible says there was a heavenly host. It was the glory of God on the Judean hillside. Can you imagine being one of those shepherds? They were so frightened and so afraid. They ran with haste to see if that thing was true. Or what about the wise men? They looked up into the galaxies and the stars, and they f tried to figure out what was happening. Something strange was getting ready to happen. The planets in the galaxies were trying to align themselves on the night that Jesus was born, and it caused a great star to appear over the manger. What would go through your heart? What would go through your mind? Women, what would go through your mind and heart if you were Sarah? And the Lord said that you were going to have a baby in your old age. You would laugh probably like Sarah. You know, picture what you would say, what you would do, how you would respond. And as we look at the Christmas story, there is a character in this narrative that so many times gets overlooked. I mean, we celebrate the virgin birth. We celebrate Mary. We celebrate the shepherds. We celebrate Elizabeth. We celebrate all the main characters of the story. But so many times I believe, you know, with all the Christmas sermons that I have heard, Joseph has been one of those characters that we really haven't focused on a lot. But let me tell you something. Joseph is a main character in this narrative, and he has a whole lot to offer. There are a lot of things that you can learn from Joseph's life. And that's what we're going to do very briefly this morning. I want you to picture yourself being Joseph. I want you to imagine yourself being Joseph. I want you to imagine as I preach this sermon, what you would think and how you respond if you were Joseph this morning. I want to tell you something about Joseph's life. History tells us that Mary was probably a young, young lady, probably around the age of 16 years of age. That's what tradition tells us. Joseph was probably probably mid-30s to early 40s. I know that sounds a little odd, but that was the custom. Older men was, was, was expected to marry uh, younger women. And the reason for that was because men had to wait to gather enough money to give to the father of the bride so that he could have a wife. And sometimes that took years and years to do. And men would save up for it. It was a special occasion. And so here is a young lady and an older man. I mean, it doesn't really look like a great story. It doesn't start off as a great story. That's what history tells us. And here, Mary says to Joseph, I am pregnant. An angel came to me and said that I was going to have a baby. Well, first of all, what would Joseph think? Here is a young lady that's supposed to be my wife. I have saved up for years to have a wife. And here my wife-to-be is coming to me telling me that she's pregnant and I know it's not my baby. So Mary's pregnancy is problematic, number one. Number two, 
she's she not only not only is she pregnant, but the Bible tells us in Luke chapter two that Mary goes away to her cousin Elizabeth's house for months and she comes back and she's showing. I mean, even that looks suspicious. Here you are going to see your cousin Elizabeth and you come back and you're pregnant. That doesn't make sense. What would you think if you were the husband to be? What would go through your mind? What would go through your emotions? And here, Joseph had to wrestle through this. Oh, I know we celebrate Mary. I mean, we celebrate how holy she is, and we celebrate what the angel said to her. The angel said, hell, holy one. I mean, she's favored. The only time in Scripture, only time, only time, through the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, this is the only time that an angel ever said to a human that the person is held and holy. Only time. The angel said, hell, holy one. The only time that's ever recorded in the pages of scripture. Here, this woman is celebrated. She is so much celebrated that there is about one billion Christians that pray to her. She is celebrated. They're called Catholics. I mean, this woman is celebrated throughout the world, but Joseph don't get a lot of attention, does he? Joseph is one of those people that we kind of just read over. And we go to the main characters of the story. But can you imagine what Joseph felt? Here he's waited to marry. He's saved up to marry. He's excited to get married. And here is his future wife-to-be saying that she's pregnant. And he knows it's not his baby. There are some things that you can learn about Joseph this morning. And number one, I want you to learn this about Joseph. Number one, I want you to learn the priority of privacy. The priority of privacy. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18, it will be behind me, and I want you to pay closely attention to the words of the scripture in verse number 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. You see, it was the custom in Judaism that if a woman became pregnant out of wedlock, usually they were stoned. I mean, they were so, they were so serious about this that on the night that the mar marriage was consummated, they, history tells us and tradition tells us that they would take the bed sheet outside and show the family members to prove that this woman was a virgin. This was a big deal. This was a priority. This was a serious offense. And here she is saying that she is pregnant, but it's not Joseph's baby. And the Bible tells us in verse number 19 that he didn't want to make a public example of her. So do you know what Joseph did? He was minded to put her away secretly. In other words, he didn't want to tell anybody what he found out. He didn't want to tell his family that his wife-to-be is pregnant. He didn't want to tell the city elders that his wife-to-be is pregnant. So he said, I will just secretly deal with this. I don't want to make this public. Now, I know times have changed, but let me just remind you the principle in this narrative. In the age of social media, in the age of Facebook and Twitter, in the, face, in the age of, uh, of Instagram, on and on, it's so easy for us to publicize everything that goes on with our life. Everything that goes on with our life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't say anything on Facebook, but what I am saying that as you grow in the Lord, you should be able to discern what you do need to say and what you don't need to say. There are some things you don't need to say. There are some things you don't need to reveal in public. There are some things you need to deal with quietly with the Lord or with a trusted person or with your family. You do not need to put it every for everyone to see it. You see, Joseph was a just man. Because he he was a just man. He was a right man. And the right man did the right thing. The right man did the right thing. The just man did the just thing. The wrong person will do the wrong thing. The unjust person will do the unjust thing. You see, Joseph was a just man. And because he was a just man, he handed it correctly because he was a man of character. Your character really comes out when the pressure is on. Your character really comes out when somebody says something to you you don't agree. 
agree with. When somebody hurts your feeling, whatever your reaction is reveals who you are as a person. It reveals your character. And Joseph was a man of character. He was a just man. And because he was a right man, he handled it the right way. In other words, he did not make an open shame and did not put shame on his wife-to-be. He took care of it publicly. And let me say this to you, my friends. There are some things in your life that you need to deal with publicly or privately. You do not need to deal with it publicly. You see, if you air all of your laundry, if you air all your laundry to the world, then if you ever rebound from that, it will put a question mark over your character. You see, you need to learn a person that is a mature Christian, a person who is growing in the Lord, knows when to say it and when not to say it. Is there times that you need to discuss it with somebody? Of course. Is there times that you need prayer? Of course. Is there times that you need counsel? Of course. Is there a time that you need a trusted friend? Of course. But there is a difference in putting your stuff all over for the world to read. You see, what would have happened if Joseph would have publicly shamed her? All of Judea, all of Nazareth would have been aware that Mary did something that was unethical. I'm sure some people found out, but it wasn't on the face of Joseph. Joseph is not the one that did it. Maybe her friends talked about her, but Joseph didn't do it. Joseph was a man of character. Joseph was a just man. You see, he had the ability. He had the ability to control his emotions. And number two, some of the things that you can learn from this story is the importance of controlling your emotions. Listen, there's nothing wrong with emotions. I'm going to say this again. Nothing wrong with emotions. But I've learned one thing about emotions. Emotions make you sign up. They never make you show up. And sometimes in life, we make hasty decisions because we are emotional people. There is nothing wrong with emotions. Nothing wrong with emotions. What's wrong is out of control emotions. You have the ability to control yourself. You say, well, pastor, it's hard. Well, the Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 5 that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. You see, we want to focus on love, joy, peace, and meekness. But one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If you have Jesus living on the inside of you, you should have the ability to control yourself, control your words, control your anger, control your behavior. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, and it's very important that you learn how to control your emotions. Now, the Bible says, concerning Joseph, the Bible says in verse number 20, I want you to see how this relates to us today. Verse number 20, but while he thought about these things, an angel appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Do you see that first phrase there? But while he thought about these things, I want you to say that with me. But while he thought about these things, say it again. But while he thought about these things, listen to Pastor Josh. It's very important that you think about things. It's very important that you think about things. Have you ever met somebody that you can't talk to, can't reason with? You can't, you can't, they automatically get offended and get defensive. You can't talk to them because they don't think about things. God has given you a mind. Don't waste your brain. Don't waste your mind. For thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and your mind. Think about things. God wants you to use your mind for godly purposes. He's given your mind for reason and intellect and to think about things. And sometimes when we become aggravated and defensive and hurt, the very first thing we want to do is we want to respond very quickly without thinking about things. And that is why when you think about things, you've got to go back and apologize because you thought about how you responded. This story teaches us that in the journey of life, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. You're going to have misunderstandings and mishaps, but you've got to learn how to control your emotions. And one of the ways that you can control your emotions is stop and think about what you're getting ready to say and do. Think about it. Reason. Have thought process about this. You see, Joseph could have become angry. He could have become angry. He said, you know what? I can't believe I have saved all these years to get my wife. I'm an older man and I've waited all these years to have a wife and you have the audacity to 
to go get pregnant. Did you get pregnant by a soldier? Where were you at night? He could have just jumped the gun and spilled off of a bunch of words to hurt Mary, but he thought about it. He went to bed to think about it. He controlled his emotions. He controlled his demeanor. He took a pause and thought about it. And listen, when you are faced with situations that you don't understand, just because you don't understand doesn't mean you're right. Just because you don't have all the facts don't mean you're right. Why is it that we automatically think that if somebody disagrees with us that we're right? Maybe you don't have enough facts. Maybe you don't know the story. And I find that interesting as pastor in a church, people come up with conclusions that they don't even understand. They don't understand what goes on behind closed doors. They don't understand what's being said. They don't understand what goes on six days a week and come to church and they make conclusions and assumptions that they don't understand. That's why it's important that you think about things. That's why it's important that you process things and understand things that just because you don't know the facts doesn't mean you're right. You got to think about things. Most of the stuff that happens in life, in relationships, is misunderstandings. There's a difference between walls and barriers. Sometimes we use barriers and boundaries and we substitute them with walls because we don't want to get close to people. We don't want to be vulnerable to people. He controlled his emotions. He thought about this. How many would agree with Pastor Josh that that is some truth? You always got to think about things before you say something. All right, thank God for 10 people and the rest of you, I guess, just fly off the mouth. I said, how many would agree with me? You got to think about things before you say it. You got to think about it. And he thought about it. He thought about it. And isn't it amazing that the Bible says in verse number 20, but while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. One of the things, as I was reading this Christmas story, the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream, but the Lord spoke to Mary through an angel. And the Lord spoke to the shepherds through a group of angels. In other words, God speaks to people differently. God spoke to Joseph through a dream, but he spoke to Mary through the angel called Gabriel. He spoke to the wise men through the stars, and he spoke to the shepherds through a group of angels singing on the Judean hillside. The point of the matter is don't judge people if they hear God differently than you. He heard differently. How God speaks to me may be a different method than how God speaks to you, but it will always be in line with the truth of the word of God. Here is Joseph. He thought about these things. When you go after somebody in anger to embarrass them, that you want to reveal who they are, then you don't really reveal who they are. You really reveal how immature you are. Never go after somebody to try to expose them and to reveal who they truly are. Boy, I grew up in the church, and the church has been bad about that. I've seen pastors do it. I've seen church members do it. They get hurt in church. You know what they want to do? They want to blast it all over Facebook. They want to blast it all over Instagram. They want to put passive-aggressive statements on Facebook. And you know they're talking about you. They put it, It's passive-aggressiveness. They want to poke at you and stab at you. Come on, somebody. And listen, that's not God. That's not godly. You see, you've got to learn how to control your emotions. You've got to learn how to control yourself. Because if not, ladies and gentlemen, you will find yourself being in a spiritual rut that you can't get out of. You see, I remember years and years ago, years and years ago, I remember somebody it was a misunderstanding. I sat down with this person. I tried to talk to this person. Nobody knows who this is. Years and years and years ago, I tried to talk to this person and reason with this person. I prayed with this person and, and, and I even apologized. Apologize, um, and I even almost crucified myself trying to apologize. Did everything I can to try to make it right. This is years ago, and, and I remember sitting there thinking to myself, I, I admitted my wrong. I'm sorry. I'm crying. I've done everything I've known to do, and yet that person still left and put on all over Instagram, right, like three hours after they left my meeting, and it was just statements directed towards me. And what I did, I called him in my office and confronted him with them, and they just stared at me just stared at me. 
And I'm thinking it doesn't, it reveals how immature you truly are. It reveals how immature, and I've learned one thing in life. Your emotional health is equal to your spiritual health. If you are emotionally unhealthy, you are spiritually unhealthy. Have you ever met somebody, have you ever met somebody who flies off of the mouth, who screams and yells all the time, always revealing people's character, always being passive aggressive? Do you really think those people are spiritually mature? Your emotional maturity is equal to your spiritual maturity. I can tell how spiritual mature you are by how emotionally mature you are. Can I say that again? I can tell how spiritually mature you are by how emotionally mature you are. If you act like a baby all the time in your emotions, that is an indicator that you are spiritually unhealthy and spiritually immature. Because when you grow up spiritually, you grow from a child to be a father in the faith and you learn how to control your emotions. I think I'm going to clap whether you all clap or not. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching about this? I promise you, I am not directing this to anyone or anything. If you leave today upset, I, I'm just preaching what I've, I already had this picked out two weeks ago. All right, I've been studying this for a while. So I, I'm not directing it towards anyone. I am just telling you, this is what you find in the story. I've been studying this for two weeks. And as I was studying it really pierced my heart because I don't always respond right. I don't, I get aggravated and defensive. I come up with my conclusions. I tell myself my own stories. And that's the thing with Joseph. Joseph had to stop and think about the story that he was telling himself. And isn't that the demise of our life? We come up with stories and we tell ourselves a story. And if anybody disagrees with the story that we come up with in our head, we get defensive. And let me ask you this question. How did you come up with that story? You got a little facts here and a little facts here, a little information here, but you don't know the whole truth. So you come up with the own conclusion and you tell your own self the story and you're convinced in your story, you're convinced in your narrative. And if anybody says anything to you that disagrees with the story that you've told yourself, you automatically become defensive. And Joseph had to tell himself a different story. You know what the story he could have told himself? Joseph could have told himself this. Man, you've worked all these years to get a wife. The audacity that this young lady has done to me. The audacity that she would go to her cousin Elizabeth's house and she's coming back pregnant. I cannot believe the shame that she's going to put me through with my family. I can't believe who she thinks she is trying to hide this pregnancy from me. Oh, telling me that an angel came to her and said she's going to have the son of God. Really? The audacity. You are a narcissist. You're, Mary, you're a narcissist. It's all about you. It's all about you. You're pregnant with the son of God. You think you're holier than everybody else, don't you, Mary? Who do you think you are, Mary, that God would choose you to bring forth the Son of God? And who is the Son of God? There is no such thing as the Son of God. I am a Jew. We believe that there is only one God. How dare you, Mary? You're nothing but a polytheistic, narcissist young lady. To think that there should be another God or Son of God? That's the story he could have told himself. And don't that remind you of your life, of the story you tell yourself? And, and we tell ourselves stories and we stop going to church because of the story we've told ourselves. We get offended at the pastor because of the story we told ourselves. We don't know all the facts, it's just the story we told ourselves. We believe the stories we tell ourselves. And let me ask you a question, church. Why should you believe everything you think when your very nature is sinful? 
And if your nature is sinful, your thinking is sinful. Your thoughts are sinful. And why do you always want to believe everything you think when your very nature is sinful? But that's what we do. We believe the nature that is sinful of ourselves. And that's why it's so contrary to believe the Bible, because it's against the sinful nature of humanity. We like to tell ourselves stories. And Joseph had to think about it. Think. Thinking. How many teachers do we have in the building? Thinking is a lost art. Thinking is a lost art. When I was in school, the teacher would do this. Pay attention. Stop. Look up here. Pay attention. Think about this. Sometimes we got to be reminded. Stop. Think. Look up here. Pay attention. Think about this. Don't jump to conclusions. Number three, he had to learn how to he had to have the strength to wait. He had to wait. You see, the Bible says in verse number 25, and he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. He did not know her. In other words, he did not consummate the marriage until after the child was born. In other words, he had to wait. He had to wait. He could not lie with her. He could not have relationship with her. He could not be intimate with her. He could not consummate the marriage. He had to wait till the baby was born. And waiting is not something that you like to do or I like to do. We live in a microwave society. We want it right now. We want it right then. But God said to Joseph, listen, you got to wait until after the baby born. This is a virgin birth and you can't interfere with my plan. Now listen to Pastor Josh. How does this apply to my life? You've got to be careful that your presence doesn't interfere in what God is trying to do in somebody else's life. Can I say that again? You've got to be careful that your presence doesn't interfere in what God is trying to do in somebody else's life. I'm going to say it again. You've got to be careful that your presence doesn't interfere in what God is trying to do in somebody else's life. Joseph, you've got to be careful. Don't touch her. Don't be intimate with her. Don't be around her. You've got to wait till the baby is born. And church, you've got to be careful that your life don't interfere with somebody else's life and you hinder what God wants to do in their life. It's dangerous for you to try to interfere in somebody else's life and tell them that they can't serve the Lord and tell them they can't, they, they can't, they can't love God and can't serve God. You've got to be very careful. Joseph, don't touch her. You've got to wait. Don't interfere with what God wants to do in somebody's life. I've seen parents bail their children out when God was trying to do something in that child's life. You've got to be careful. You don't interfere in what God wants to do. Gotta be careful. You be careful trying to bail people out. You gotta be careful trying to go and clean up all the messes all the time. God was born in a stable. God was born in a mess. And let me just make this public God is not intimidated by the messes of your life. He's not intimidated by the messes of your life. Who cares if your life is a mess? Doesn't matter. God was born in a stable, in a stinky, smelly stable with hay. God was born in the middle of poo. God was born in the middle of urine. God was born in the middle of a bunch of barnyard animals. God was born in the middle of Joseph wrestling with his emotions. God was born in the middle of a mess. And I want to shit you to know that sometimes you can't organize everything. You can't get everything to be perfect. You can't do everything perfect. That's all right. Because the story teaches us God comes in our messes. He's in our mess. It's okay. 
It's okay if your life is a wreck. It's okay if it's a mess. As long as you don't let the mess get to you. As long as it doesn't control you. Joseph said, I am not going to interfere. I'm not going to touch what God wants to do in Mary's life. Parents, be careful that you don't interfere in what God is trying to do to your ch child. If you're praying that they hit rock bottom, let them hit rock bottom. Don't interfere with what God wants to do. If you're praying that God will do something, don't go behind God and try to make it up for it or try to clean it up. Let God, don't interfere with what God wants to do. Take your hands off of it. Joseph, you got to have the strength to wait. Some things. You know what the Holy Spirit said to me? Jonah, I'm about to shout. Y'all ready for this? I said, y'all ready for this? This is what God said to me about when I read this. He said, some things God is working on, you can't touch it right now. That's why you got to be patient. Let God do it. So, Pastor, you don't know what I'm talking about. I, I know what I'm talking about. I was raised in dysfunction. I was raised in mess. I was raised when people went to jail and they sold my Christmas presents just to take, get them. You know, I was raised in mess and I've sung all my life. People praying for one thing. And then we try to, we try to step in and be God. Don't interfere. Let it go. You can't control everything. You can't fix everything. And you got to make sure you don't interfere with what God wants. What would have happened if Joseph would have said to me, Mary, listen, we're going to have to have sex because I can't wait no longer. I waited too long, Mary. What a different Christmas story we would be reading. Would it still be a virgin birth if she was pregnant and he had sex with her? I mean, that would throw a loop in the story. But Joseph had to wait. He had to not interfere with what God is doing. And in closing, number four, this story teaches us there's a walk of faith. What do I mean by that? Well, chapter 2, verse 13. Matthew 2, verse 13, just quickly. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Do you, Joseph had another dream, because this is the way God was speaking to Joseph. And in that dream, guess what happened? God says to Joseph, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to flee and I want you to take the child with you. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. And what happened? Joseph took the child and he went to Egypt. You see, isn't that the walk of faith? He didn't live in Egypt. He was in Nazareth. And he had to go to Egypt. That was a place of unknown to him. That was not a familiar place. But he had to go to a place that he wasn't familiar with. Listen, your spiritual journey is going to require you to do things that you are uncomfortable with. If your Christianity doesn't require some sort of being uncomfortable, then it's really not worth dying for. It's not worth living for. If you come to church and you're never uncomfortable and never convicted and never challenged to grow, then i got to ask you, is it really working in your life? Is it really working? Because if you're not challenged, you won't be changed. People who are challenged are people who change. And if you're not challenged and you're not convicted and there's not a sense of being uncomfortable then I got a question. Where's your walk with the Lord? There should be a sense of I'm uncomfortable. And Joseph was uncomfortable. He got up at the word of the angel and went to Egypt. He went to an unknown place. He went to a place that wasn't familiar to him. He went to a place that wasn't 
I'll deal for him. Who wants to go to Egypt? But he had to because there was a census. You see, your Christian life is a walk, but sometimes this walk is very uncomfortable. And my last point is this. The heart. What do we learn from Joseph? Is the heart is what makes a family. Now, as I was reading this story, don't lose me, because I think this is a powerful. Actually, this ministered to me. I, I saw something in this story that I had never seen before, but I thought it was almost revolutionary when I saw it. And I quickly wrote it down because I think it's important. The heart is what makes a family. Do you know that since Mary is a virgin, the Holy Spirit came upon her and dropped the seed into her womb? God, listen, God, God became a man in the womb of a human. That is the mystery of Christmas. Why would God become a man? It's no wonder the angels came out to sing. It's no wonder a multitude of angels came out to sing glory to God. I mean, it's no wonder the angels looked down from the banister of heaven to behold the mystery of God that a human, a mere mortal, would carry the seed of God in her womb. Could it be that she now is the Ark of the Covenant? In the Old Testament, the Ark, a physical box, held the glory of God, but now in the New Covenant, a mere human, which is Mary, now becomes the Ark of God that holds the presence of Almighty God, known as Jesus. Could it be that the mystery of Christmas teaches us that it's not blood that makes a family. It's the heart. Joseph is not a biological father to Jesus. He will never be a biological father. But Joseph took the opportunity to be a father to Jesus, to care for Jesus, even though it wasn't his biological child. Christianity teaches us that when you come into the family of God, it's not about blood anymore. It's about the heart. And that is why the Bible says in Acts 2, they opened up their homes and gave to everybody that had need because the blood of Jesus is now the bloodline, not the biological bloodline. Joseph teaches us it is not the blood that makes the family. It's the heart that makes the family. How many love somebody that's not necessarily your blood, but it's just like your family? Hallelujah. Do you know that since I was raised in dysfunction, no disrespect to any of my family, I've I, throughout my years, in 20-some years of ministry, I've become close to people Lots of people that were not my blood, but they were the same as my blood because it's a Christian thing. It's God putting people together. It's, it's Paul and Silas. It's Elijah, Elisha. It's the community of believers working together. It's Jesus hanging on the cross. And he looks down from the cross and he tells his disciple John, take care of my mother. Because at the cross, it destroys the bloodline biologically. And he says to John the apostle, will you please take my mama in and take care of my mama? Was it his mother? You know what the American church would do? Now, Lord, am I going to get a paycheck for that? She's really not my mom. Are you going to reimburse me for all the hell that I'm... She's not my mama. I don't know if I have a spare bedroom for her. 
Can you please give me some more details? That's what the American church would do because we got to get paid for everything. Because they're not, if they're not my blood, not related to me, I ain't taking care of you. Talk about racism. That's racism. Because when you become a Christian, the bloodline comes down and your heart opens up to a new family, a new race. The blood of Jesus brings us together at the cross and their mother becomes my mother. And... John Kennedy said this, I believe that there will be less adultery in the church if we start viewing our brothers and our sisters as brothers and sisters. The problem is we don't view ourselves as family. We view ourselves as a checklist on Sunday morning and I'm not going to go to eat. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to a small group. I don't want to associate with you. I don't, I'm, no. That's why when we have communion, you come forward, take your bread, dip it into the juice. Because I'm trying to teach you that it's not about your little cup and your little bread. I'm not promoting individualism. I'm promoting a family. We all come to the same table and we all eat of the same bread because we're all under the same Lord. It's not about your little piece of bread and your little piece of cup. And you go over to your corner and you drink your bread and drink your cup and you stay away from everybody else. No, no, no. The table is for communion. Joseph teaches us that what really makes a family is the heart. I, I believe James Kennedy, that great Presbyterian preacher of Florida, if we viewed ourselves truly as brothers and sisters, there'd be less adultery, less division, less envy and strife. I view you as my mother and my father. I may not agree with everything you do, may not even like you sometimes, but because we're family, we can work through anything. Come on, somebody. And just because we have a disagreement in the church doesn't mean that you leave this family and go to another family and take your junk. It means you stay right here and work through all the mess and work through all the junk and learn how to love people who are different from you. Somebody should have just stood to your feet. I said, it teaches you to love people who are different from you. And that's why people jump here and jump there and jump here and jump there and they're mad here, mad here because they've not learned that in a family you're not going to agree with everything or everybody. But God puts you in a dysfunctional family that teaches you that it's not about you and sometimes it teaches you you've got to love people who are unlovable. Jesus said if you love people who love you back, then what reward do you have? You're just like the pagans. But if you love the unlovable, he says then that's where the reward comes from. Jesus' teaching in the Gospels is this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, you have heard it was said, but I say unto you. You know what Jesus is saying? You already know all that, but I am saying, come up a different level. Come up a different expectation. Don't be like the pagans. Don't operate your life at the same level of the world. The world only loves people who love them. The world is defensive. The world is moody. The world, come on somebody, the world, you've got to come up another notch. That's, that's the world way of thinking. You have heard it was said, but now I say unto you, do this. 
Joseph teaches us today, as I was reading this story the last two weeks, and do you know I have about three other points from this story? Because when you focus on the same story for weeks, you just get a lot out of it. But I'm not going to bore you with the rest of it. I'm going to stop. Because the narrative of Joseph teaches us the priority of privacy. Don't do things all the time publicly. It teaches us that you got to think about things, control your emotions. Number three, you, you got to wait. Don't interfere in what God's trying to do to somebody. Take your hands off of it. It teaches us that there is a walk of faith. You're going to be uncomfortable. You've got to go places in your spiritual life. You don't want to go. He went to Egypt. He left Nazareth. And number five, it teaches us that Joseph was not a biological father, but he took care of Jesus as if it was his own biological child. That's what we can learn at this season, the Christmas season. Now, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? I've, I've preached the word to you. I've, I've given you what I have felt the Spirit is saying. I didn't preach it towards anyone or anything. I preached to myself first. I meditated on the word this week, and I'm giving it to you today. And I'm asking you, what are you going to do with it? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Is there something that you need to change in your life? Is, is, is there something that the Spirit is saying to you that maybe you have to come up a little notch? Maybe there's a different way of thinking about something. And I promise you, it doesn't matter how much of a mess you may be in today. You may say, Pastor, I'm really in a mess. Financially, I'm in a mess. I'm in a mess in my emotions. Whatever it may be, it's okay because God is born in a mess. It's all right. You don't have to stay in the mess. And you know what the Christmas story teaches us? The wise men gave their gifts. The traditional stories, they came to the manger. That's probably not what happened, but let's just go with it. They brought their gifts in the mess. You got to give the gold, frankincense, and myrrh in the mess. It's, it's easy to give your best when you're not in the mess, but it's really hard to give your gold, frankincense, and myrrh in the middle of a manger. What about it? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you?